All right, welcome back to the Struggles of a Christian podcast. Today I got something going, uh, just a short little, something that's been on my mind. Um, I woke in the middle of the night, uh, the other night, and uh, all that was on my mind was the waste of a life. Now here's the problem. My life has not been a waste. But when you, you look back on it, that's how you feel. Okay, so I've done a lot of good, but there's, I mean, there's been some bad, but I have done a lot of good. But what's really, um, what's really weighing in is the things that I haven't done for God that I should have. So I started quantifying what I wasted time on. Yet, as I did this, it occurred to me that no positives showed up in my remembrances. If you ever had one of these uh, nighttime Vigils, the, the positives never show up. You have to force yourself to remember the positives. Um, so we affect people, whether for good or bad, with every thought, every move, every action, every reaction. So surely our lives cannot be all bad. Yet, when we look back on our life, we often forget the victories, the good and the decent things we have done. And we focus on the pain and the regret and the failure. It made me think of some others who have had multiple strikes in their life. They didn't always listen, yet God still used them. Okay, so we're going to look at three different guys today from the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, actually, one account, one, one thing we're going to look at is a, a couple of people, not just one. All right, so here we go. We're going to Luke 5, 1 to start. And it came to pass... That as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So here we have Peter, Simon Peter, who's a fisherman, and Christ, who's going along. But the people are pressing against him because he's been healing. They know who he, uh, they've seen his works. So they're pressing against him. So he climbs into the boat and to get offshore so he can teach, us, teach the people from a distance without being crowded upon. These people are starved to hear the word of God. Remember, every time you hear it, they, 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 every time you read, they're, they're astonished at his doctrine. They marvel at his teaching, the fact that he speaks with authority that no one else speaks with. And the people know he's different. So they're pressing upon Jesus. He enters into the ship to get a little distance between him and them, and he preaches from the boat. And once he is finished, teaching and preaching from the boat, he gets on about some serious business. He tells Simon to launch out into the deep waters and to let down his nets. Simon, being a man, and he's a tired man because he had been all night, okay? Uh, he said, we have toiled all night, so he's tired. But he says, uh, Master, we will do and what, what you've asked, okay? So Simon Peter knows who Jesus is. He saw him at the baptism with John. Simon Peter knows who Jesus is, for he calls him master, all right? So he says, we've been toiling all night. We have had no luck. Yet at thy word, I will let down the net. 
Jesus says, let down the nets. There's an S there. Peter says, I will let down the net. No S. Big difference in the words that the S makes, all right? Very big difference. So Luke 5, 6. And when they had done this, when they had let down the net, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Just as the people on the shore, so too the fish were trying to get close to Jesus. Had Peter let down his nets, he would have had a catch for the ages. Peter let down a net. He did not fully listen to Jesus. He doubted. We're the same way. But Lord, I know better. I know I was just there. I just did that. Lord, this has been done. Peter said the same thing. He let down a net, partial obedience, but he didn't let down the nets. Partial obedience leads to partial rewards. All right. So Luke 5, 7. So Peter and his people in a ship, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and they filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. All right. Peter and his team had to get help over because they had been toiling all night with no fish. Now they got so much fish between him and the other ship. It's going to be amazing. If he had just done as Christ had asked, though, he wouldn't have needed the help and he wouldn't have needed the rewards. Think about it. Or I'm sorry, he wouldn't have had to share the rewards. So the partners come over to help with the hull. The nets are filled to the point the ships can almost not bear the weight. Peter looks at Jesus. Now, this is interesting. Jesus is no longer master. He was master when he said, okay, master. No. Now, Jesus is Lord. The change in tone. Absolute change in tone. In 5.5, 5, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night. That's teacher, we toiled all night. Teacher, I know more than you do, but I'm giving you respect. Here, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Get this, this difference? Peter, <laughs> Peter is recognizing. All right. Uh, Luke 5, 9. For he was astonished. And all that were with him at the drought of at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. They had just toiled all night, taken nothing. Now, in five minutes' time, they have taken so much, their ships are about to sink. So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. And followed him. Very interesting. Peter recognizes Jesus as Lord. Asks him to depart from Peter's presence. For he, Peter, is a sinful man. Jesus says, fear not. Why would Peter be fear fearful? Why would Jesus need to call him? Why would he have to say, fear not? Well, Peter's unworthy and he knows it. Jesus has to calm him because Peter 
recognizes his own inadequacies at that point. Less like many of us do when we come to Jesus. We see our inadequacies. Christ has just shown Peter that he is Lord. Peter is unworthy and he knows it. Peter recognizes Jesus and he recognizes that he does not belong in the presence of Jesus. Once again, I am led to believe that Christ, seeing the mind of man, needs to calm the man for the mind is the biggest weakness of man. The one with the most potential to damage a man. Peter said, Master, Sarka, I, I, I can't do this. I will let down a net. And then all these fish come up and it's, oh, Lord, we have got so many. I don't know what we're going to do. The change in attitude is also bringing fear of retribution against speaking to him the way he did the first time. Anyway, so Peter and his men on that ship, Peter, James, and John, all followed Christ. It says, all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken, they forsook all and followed him. They left the ship, they left everything, and followed after Jesus. Think about that. Peter, uh, he, he is a man of, of, of impetuousness, but he's loyal. He's impulsive, but he's loyal. Peter's time with Christ is marked by doubt by failure and by weaknesses, yet God used Peter in amazing ways during the day of Pentecost and beyond. Peter's time with Christ, we, we, we remember the time of the denial. We remember uh, the time that he only let down a net instead of the nets. We remember the time that uh, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, because Peter said he wasn't going to die. But what about all the good things that Peter did? Healing the man at the temple, um, taking the gospel to the Gentiles with Cornelius. I mean, Peter did so much good, but we remember the denial of Peter. We remember the fact that uh, he said that, that he was called a pawn of Satan. But do we remember the fact right off the top of our heads that Peter was the first one to recognize Christ as the Christ? Peter was used in amazing ways, even though he had so many mistakes, so many doubts, so many fears. All right, so let's go to the next one. Acts 12, 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together for praying. So when we first meet John Mark, we are not meeting him, but seeing Peter arrive at Mary's or at his mother's house. Uh, his mother was a woman of substance, and her son was probably well-educated and probably a little pampered, immature, and fresh face. We know he was related to Barnabas, and he was willing to go on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. So really, at this point, when we're meeting John Mark, it's just, uh, and he also wrote the gospel. Uh, it's We're meeting uh, his mother, and um, his mother, and the example he had, for they were, many were gathered together in her house, praying. Now, this is during the time of persecution, so the fact that they're in her house praying means she had she could afford a little bit of protection, whether from people she knew or whatnot. Or she had a big house, they could all get in there safely meet without fear of discovery. So either way, she she they, they had it very good at this time. So his mother was a woman of substance. Her son was probably well-educated and probably a little pampered, immature, and fresh-faced. He's not... He's not uh, ready for what he's about to see on the missionary trip. All right, so Acts 13, 4. 
So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. Now when Paul, in 1313, and when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John Mark is a boy, okay? Now, I don't know if he was a boy in age, but we know in his attitude and his actions, he's still a young, young, young man, okay? He garners a lot of grief because he broke Paul and Barnabas up. He deserted the ministry after only a short time. He was, is used as a laughingstock in certain circles. Yet, as we are talking about those that fail and then succeed, he must have done something right to succeed, correct? All right, so what do we know so far? He was living with his mother in a big house. He was with the people who were worshiping. He wanted to go on a missionary journey because I'm sure uh, they all talked it up real good, but he was not aware of the trials and the hardships they faced. He was only seeing the, the glamour, the glory of being on the road and serving. He wasn't seeing the day-to-day -day details. All right. So he gets out there. He goes on this trip with them. And uh, they, they lose from Paphos. They came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So he wasn't used to the hard life, the ocean life, things like that. And he left and he went home. Now, later on, it doesn't say, I, I didn't write it here because we all know, later on, um, Barnabas wants to go and bring John Mark back on with him. And Paul says, no, he already left us once. He already proved um, not productive on, on, on the, that other missionary journey. No, we're not taking him. And Paul and Barnabas split. Legendary team of Paul and Barnabas split over John Mark. All right. So Paul later in life talks about Mark. And what does he say? In, in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for my ministry. All right, Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. So now it, Paul's later in life, and he is nothing but glowing remarks for John Mark. After he split with Barnabas, a partnership that had lasted a decade, after he split with Barnabas over John Mark, here years later, he is now speaking glowingly of John Mark. So John Mark started out as a failure, started out as a failure. And he went on to pen a gospel. He went on to be highly regarded by the Apostle Paul. He was a failure, yet he succeeded. Paul, writing to Timothy and the Colossians, is nearing the end of his ministry in his life. He is aware, and he seeks comfort in some of his successes. Timothy and Mark are working together. We all know Timothy. They're working together, and Paul calls him profitable for the ministry. John Mark must have found his resolve and his purpose. So John Mark probably learned a lot in his time with Barnabas. I don't know if you were there when I was doing Barnabas, but Barnabas was a great guy. Barnabas was the half glass full 
all the time guy. Barnabas was such a glowing testimony all the time of good spirits, exhortations. I mean, he was just a great guy. So John Mark must have spent some time and learned from, from Barnabas instead of thinking, you know, as us young guys do. We know everything. He probably learned a lot. So this failure of a young man was allowed to write the gospel of Mark that is in our Bible. He was allowed to go on and have a ministry. He was working with Timothy. He grew up after failing. A failure doesn't stop you. The only thing that stops you is stopping after the failure. He experienced a few setbacks, but Mark, John Mark was a success. Peter experienced a few setbacks, but Peter was a success. All right, so now we're going to talk about one more, but this is a totally different situation than the other two. Um, you'll see in just a moment, because we're going to Philemon, and if you've ever read Philemon, you know what we're about to talk about. Wherefore, though, I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, which is convenient. For yet, for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. So now we get to a different type of situation, for this man did not just walk away from an issue. He was guilty, and he was liable to be put to death if he got caught because of what he did. He ran from his master. He fled and was due a full death from the law of man for his crime. He stole from his master and he ran. That's death. So Philemon and Paul, they're servants of Christ together. In fact, Paul led Philemon to the Lord, thus making him a spiritual father to Philemon. Onesimus escapes for reasons unknown from Philemon's household and somehow gets to Paul who leads him to Christ. Now Paul is confronted with an issue, one that is really not in his purview. Yet he attempts to reconcile the two as his Christian duty. Paul is in prison. He is in chains and shackles. It's really not right now a good place for him to be trying to help somebody else out in their legal battles. But he does. Paul is doing some seriously fancy footwork here with his words, all for Onesimus who messed up big. Yet Onesimus who messed up is then a very faithful friend and steward. All right? So he, he messed up, he ran away, and Paul is begging Philemon, saying, hey, take this guy back. I know he was unprofitable, but now he has worked well for me. He's come to Christ, and he's doing his job very, very well. He's serving me while we're both in prison. He's given him a, a testimony. He's given him a, reverence, a reference. And, and, and Paul beseeched him not as someone who had the right to ask him. He's beseeching him as a friend, which is great because Paul could have pulled rank, but he never did in this situation. Anyway, so Colossians 4, 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Onesimus, a runaway slave who ran away, was guilty and should have been put to death, has gone on to become a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, who is carrying messages, messages for Paul. Onesimus messed up his life. When he did what he did, he messed up his life and his reputation. But thank God he was given a second chance. 
He wasn't defined by his mistake. Paul not only interceded for him, but later he used him to teach and preach. He used him to call, carry his, Paul's letters, to give the gospel a world that, give the gospel to a world that needed it. As far as Onesimus's life particulars, we know very little. But rumor has it he was a bishop in the church before his death, an escaped slave, sentenced to death if caught, becomes a beloved brother, a faithful messenger. A, he, he, he becomes a bishop in the church. Not a bad life for an escaped slave condemned to death. So Peter is an obvious study in failure. I mean, come on, we, we all know Peter's failures. Well, he walked on water, but he had faith. He, he doubted and fell in the water, but he walked on water. He had enough faith to walk in Christ. He had enough faith. But in his eyes, he knew it's not natural to be walking on water, okay? Peter is an obvious study in failure. Onesimus is lesser known, and John Mark is even more vague. Yet these men, they rose above their failures. They are no longer identified as failures. They are identified in our Bible as mighty men of God, as faithful messengers, as productive and, and, and fruitful to the ministry. They failed, but they did not let their failures stop. Onesimus came to Christ after his mistake. And he saw what was forgiven him, and he was forever grateful. John Mark had faith, went out, but didn't have the physical uh, stamina, didn't have the mental acumen for that life just yet. He failed. He went home. But he, later, he grew up, and he became faithful. He became productive. He became a great testimony. Peter messed up all the time, left and right, because he never thought before he spoke. But Peter went on to lead the greatest um, church services ever with, I mean, 3,000, 5,000 at a time coming to Christ. These men failed, but they did not let their failure stop them. They went on and they redeemed themselves. They were faithful and true. So the, the, the point of this is they were failures, but they didn't let it define them. They went on to become outstanding men of God. All right, so that's going to end it today. I hope you 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 look at these guys, you think about their situations, what they did, and then how they overcame it. That's very important because in this world today, we have people stopping after one little bad incident and never doing nothing again. Don't let it stop you. If you fall down, get up, brush yourself off, and move on. If you skin your knee, put a Band-Aid on it, move on. You make a mistake, everybody does. Get up and move on. Failures, yet they succeeded.